0: more serious this morning. Father, we thank you for your word to us and for the things that you have assigned to us to do, and we pray for wisdom and insight and understanding in the doing of them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing on with our study in denominations, which is Again, I'm handling it by talking more about doctrines and then associating them with denominations rather than just walking through a list of denominations. And we're doing the Lord's Supper, which this, my plan is that this will be the last Sunday that we will talk about the Lord's Supper. There are several different views on exactly what is happening. When, when a body of professing believers meets together to observe the Lord's table. And so we're going to kind of walk through that um, this morning. You have it in your outline, and some of this we've already talked about, but we will look at it yet again in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 14 we will come to in a moment. All right, so, so on your outline, one possibility, we talked about this last week, is, is called real presence, real presence. And when a person believes in real presence, what they really believe is that Christ's physical body is actually present when the Lord's Supper is being served. That Christ's physical body is present when the Lord's Supper is served. And and this is a, a sacramental view and I don't want to get too far into this but but this is right this is primarily what we would associate with Roman Catholicism which is the next letter on your the next blank in your outline Roman Catholics believe in what is called transubstantiation and of course we worked through this last week in the passage in John in John chapter 6 and as one of the guys pointed out to me he said you got into some some deep some deep stuff there yes and it it <clears throat> we get a little bit into the weeds with that but right but but roman catholics believe that mystically that mystically the bread and the wine become the body and blood of christ that the elements are actually transformed that the substance of the bread and the juice are changed into the body and blood of christ and This is transubst- or transubstantiation. And uh, because it is, a, is sacramental in nature, they, they tend to view, uh, virtually everybody who believes in real presence, tends to, to view, right? We, we would perhaps talk about the Lord's table, but they would view it as an altar. The offering up again of Christ in sacrifice. For them, this is, this is an altar kind of event. Going back to your outline, Lutherans, Lutherans believe in what is called sacramental union. Sacramental union. Now we would sometimes call it, again in your outline, consubstantiation. But Lutherans would reject that word. If you said to a Lutheran pastor or a Lutheran Bible teacher, you believe in consubstantiation, he would say, no, that's that's not really what, what we believe. They believe in what is technically known as sacramental union. And let me just quote to you Martin Luther, right, who's the namesake of the denomination. We do not make Christ's body out of the bread. Nor do we say that his body comes into existence out of the bread. We say that his body, which long ago was made and came into existence, is present when we say, this is my body. So they do not believe that the bread and the wine, because they would serve bread and wine, become, right? That they are anyway transformed into another substance. But they believe that it is the body and blood of Christ and they believe this is a sacramental kind of union. In the explanation of Luther's small catechism, this is what is said, that the body and blood of Christ are, quote, truly and substantially present in, with, and under the forms of the consecrated bread and juice. Now I'll come back to this, but to, but to Martin Luther, the, the whole of the argument was this, that when we observe the Lord's table, We do not say this was the body and blood of Christ. We say this is the body and blood of Christ. And so therefore, in some way, it is the body and blood of Christ. Not by an alteration of the elements, but by sacramental union. On your outline letter C, Methodists also believe in sacramental union. And again, even to say that makes me a little bit uncomfortable because there are many varieties of Methodists and I would not presume to speak for all. But let me quote this. This is from This Holy Mystery, A United Methodist Understanding of Holy Communion. Jesus Christ, who is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, Hebrews 1.3, is truly present in Holy Communion. Through Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, God meets us at the table. God, who has given the sacraments to the church, acts in and through Holy Communion. Christ is present through the community gathered in Jesus' name Matthew 18.20, through the word proclaimed and enacted and through the elements of bread and wine shared, 1 Corinthians 11.23-26. The divine presence is a living reality and can be experienced by participants. It is not a remembrance of the Last Supper and the crucifixion only. And of course, in that last statement, folks, they are taking exception to what we do. They are taking exception. We will get to this, to the third explanation for what is happening, and that is that it is a memorial. And they go, No, it's not a memorial. So now we're not just remembering something. Well, the- I'm sorry, say what? Would the Anglicans, Episcopals, believe the same thing, since came from that? Uh, well, um, Anglicans would, yes, they would, well, they would, I'm trying to remember exactly what I read because I didn't put, did I put them in here? I, Anglicans would not believe in transubstantiation, but they would believe in a sacramental union. And, and here's where we're going with this, folks, and I have just been racking my brain trying to come up with a brief way to say it and to make it clear. The, the question is when we observe the Lord's table does the Lord do something to us through the, through the partaking of the elements? Does he do something to us when we partake of the elements? That's the That seems to me and, and again I'm not sure that's the best way to ask the question Or the best way to answer the question, I have been racking my brain trying to trying to come up with a if you if you go into and if you begin to read in church history, folks, you will very immediately be overwhelmed by all of the different things that the reformers have said about exactly what is happening at the Lord's table. And it very quickly becomes this, you know, this to me you know mind boggling endeavor to understand exactly what we are getting at, but one basic one simple and <clears throat> and, and i 'm not reducing it to its simplest forms these are the these are the core positions one one simple although there are going to be nuances to it, one simple explanation for what happens is that Christ is really, really present in a <clears throat> in an edifying way when, when God's people observe the Lord's table. So, real presence. <clears throat> and again, if you, if you start to read and study on it, you will find that some people, when they talk about what's happening, will make a distinction. They will argue real presence, concept, sacramental union, and make them two. I've combined them into one because they both believe that there is a reality in some way To the body and blood of Christ in the partaking of the elements. Number two on your outline, another possibility is what is known as spiritual presence. Spiritual presence. Or this may also be known as mystical real presence. Mystical real presence. Or it may also be known by pneumatic presence. Spirit presence, pneumatic presence. So one possibility is real presence and another possibility is spiritual presence. Spiritual presence is the view adhered to by the vast majority of people who would be in some way reformed. so most presbyterian churches would believe in some form of spiritual presence or just reformed churches dutch reformed for instance or even reformed baptists would believe in some form of spiritual presence Spiritual presence, of course, is distinct from real presence in that nobody in, who believes in spiritual presence believes that the body is in some way, in any way, present in the element. Right? This this becomes really the quest part of the part of the question, folks. Is the element? Is the bread? Is the juice? Is it always and exclusively bread and juice, or is it? transformed into the body and blood of Christ, or is it mystically the body and blood of Christ? Spiritual presence is, again on your outline, yet another aspect of the sacramental view of the Lord's Supper. the view that the lord nourishes or gives grace to his people <clears throat> excuse me through their participation in communion now i think folks and and we'll get into this right but but i think that you would understand that we don't believe that or we would do the lord's supper much more often than we do because if god is in some way actively and directly ministering to his people through this activity. Right? This is part of the logic of why we have the Lord's Supper at every service. Why do you have the Lord's Supper at every service? Well, because the Lord is doing something for you to your spiritual benefit through the participation of the Lord's Supper. And if we don't have it, you will not receive that benefit. So again, let me go back to one of the great reformers, the man who probably wrote about certainly the benchmark by which all of the other reformers interacted, John Calvin. Calvin said, The sum is that the flesh and blood of Christ feed our souls just as bread and wine maintain and support our corporeal life, our physical life. For there would be no aptitude in the sign, did not our souls find their nourishment in Christ. I hold that the sacred mystery of the supper consists of two things. The corporeal things, which presented to the eye, represent invisible things in a manner adapted to our weak capacity. And the spiritual truth, which is at once figured and exhibited, by the signs. And if you want the reference for that, that is from his Institutes of the Christian Religion, book number 4, chapter number 17. So Christ is spiritually present. He is present in pneumatic form, in the form of his spirit. And when we assemble together, when when we distribute to you the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice, it is a mechanism by which God nourishes you, strengthens you, gives grace to you, spiritual presence. The third possibility is the one most associated with Baptists, and this is the memorial view. So there is real presence, spiritual presence, <clears throat> and memorial. And this is one of the reasons, folks, and <clears throat> again, we could go back in because this was a huge part of Reformation history and a huge part of the way reformers worked to distance themselves from Roman Catholicism. Okay? If you have a Roman Catholic background, or as much of my wife's side of the family does, a Lutheran background. Then you know, folks, from being in one of those services, that the centerpiece of the platform is the altar and the pulpit is off to the side. Because the main thing that is going on in the service is either the spiritual or the real enactment of the crucifixion of Christ. There's a real altar, there's a real sacrifice being offered. And many of the reformers, certainly not all of them, but many of the reformers, this, right, these were the kind of things that they did to make their point. They took the altar out of their church and they put the pulpit in the middle. There is, a, there is a symbolic reason, folks, why the centerpiece of the platform in an evangelical-type church is the pulpit. Because the central thing that goes on, or at least is supposed to go on, is the proclamation of the word. And then there were all of the attitudes about the clothing and the vestments and the robes and the gowns that distinguished the clergy from the laity. These were all things, right? I mean, so it, there were there were doctrinal things we debated the nature of baptism and we debated the nature of the Lord's supper But they carried over into symbolic things. The way we did church would be perhaps the way we would talk about it. So, to go back to, right? To number three. Another possibility is the memorial view. And and again, for us, the Lord's Supper would be a table, not an altar. We would be remembering the sacrifice, but we would never in a billion years be reenacting the sacrifice. I had mentioned that we were going to start in Mark, and we will. But turn, if you would, to First Corinthians chapter eleven, because First Corinthians eleven is one of the core passages in which we get our memorial view. First Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Paul writes, For I have received of the Lord. And we want to recall, folks, that Paul, as an apostle, had his own personal discipleship course with Jesus Christ. This is one of the arguments that he makes. This is part of the defense of his apostleship. Have I not seen the Lord? That, That he was carted off into a desert place, and he spent a couple of years being tutored by Christ. So when he makes these kinds of statements, right? Paul is making them in a little bit different or a radically different perspective than you and I would make them. I would say to you, I got this from the Lord, and what I would mean is I got it from the Lord because I read it in the Bible. And Paul would say, I got this from the Lord, and what he would mean is Jesus Christ himself taught it to me personally. So I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Now he's referring back to his establishment of the church at Corinth. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me so we right <clears throat> i mean and, and we we want to we don't want to be dishonest to anybody's position folks martin luther could not escape the reality of this statement this is my body And we accept the reality of that statement, but we cannot escape the reality of this statement. Do it in remembrance of me. Do it to remember me. So we hold to the memorial view of the Lord's table. This tends to be the view of most Baptists, most people in Bible churches. Most people in E-free churches. And, and we do not view it in a sacramental sense. And by sacrament, I mean something that gives you grace. That would be, that would be where we would dig our heels in. Would it give you, does this give you grace? On your outline you have a blank there, it is sometimes called the Zwinglian view, after the reformer Ulrich Zwingli, but again if you start doing the research you will find that there are no shortage of people who point out that Zwingli himself did not entirely believe in a memorial view. And I would say we do want to be careful here. I have a, <clears throat> I have a, a pastor friend, who went to a Presbyterian, a Reformed Presbyterian seminary, for his MDiv. <clears throat> and, you know, just in the course, nobody was being ugly, but in the course of a conversation with one of his professors, you know, his his professor made the critique that. In the Baptist world, it is almost as if we believe in the real absence of Christ at the Lord's Supper. Like he's not even there. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So let's turn to Mark chapter 14. Verse number 22, just, just a, 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 a refreshing of our memory of what happened. As they did eat, Mark 14, 22, Jesus took bread, blessed, and break it, gave to them, said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is the blood of, my, of the New Testament, which is shed for many, Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, one of the questions that I would wonder is if transubstantiation is true, did it begin right then? And I don't know that, and I don't know what the meaning, you know, what significance it would have. But as Christ is sitting there talking to them, still possessing a very live living body with the blood still flowing through his veins, does transubstantiation begin at this moment? So let's just turn our attention finally to this. What is the the conflict between real presence and the memorial view? Or spiritual, maybe a better way to put, that, put the question, what is the conflict between any of the sacramental views and the memorial view? Because to me this is where the real tension is folks, <clears throat> But the tension really is not over whether the, 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 the juice and the, and the bread become the body of Christ because I, I would hope that we would all recognize and understand that that is entirely possible. Right? It's, it's not like we have, we have found something that is too hard for God to do. That's not the issue at all. Right? Why does it have to become the body and blood of Christ? Because something is happening to you into to your benefit when you partake of it. Okay, so letter A, on, or at least on my outline, I can't remember if I followed the outline exactly for you. The argument against holding only the memorial view, right? we want, we want to be honest with those who would disagree with us, is that we are ignoring the clear statements of Jesus about the supper being his body and blood. And as I've already mentioned, Luther was insistent on this point. Right? Luther's pointed out that the text of Scripture treated it always as a present tense. This is, not this was, but this is my body and my blood. On the other hand, folks, our opposition to it, letter B, is that Baptists have historically rejected the idea that any physical religious activity brings God's grace. We, we, we are not sacramental people. I'm not saying that the observation of the Lord's table couldn't be a precious time to you. That's, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not saying that it could not have great meaning to you. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about how we feel when we observe the Lord's Supper. We're talking about whether or not Christ is doing something for us when we observe the Lord's Table. So that brings me then to letter C. The question about the presence of Christ is really a question about whether Christ is present in an unusual way. Is he doing something during the Lord's Supper that he would not be doing, let's just say, immediately prior to the Lord's Supper? Turn back if you would to Mark chapter or to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, let's just start in verse number 15. Now, I don't know if your study Bible has any note in it. My, my Schofield Bible has this heading between verse 14 and 15. Discipline in the future church. And it's put that way because Jesus is talking about the church, although really the church is not operational at this point in time. I re- and that's very controversial, but that would be the position I would take. Verse number 15, moreover... Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And I really read that passage to get us to verse number 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And that becomes, folks. You know, I mean, you notice the verse, the first word, therefore, becomes kind of an explanation for what Jesus has just been saying about the church and about the gathering of the church. And here's 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 the point that I'm the point that I'm asking the the point that I'm raising, right? One possibility is that Jesus is speaking this to the disciples because they do not have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has yet to indwell them and the New Testament will call the indwelling Spirit also Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so here, for instance, to go back to the immediate framework, here is Peter who believes in Jesus but doesn't have God's Spirit living in him. And here's John who believes in Jesus but doesn't have God's spirit in them. And when two of them come together in Jesus' name, now Jesus is there because that's what he said. Where two or more gather in my name, I'm there. But since he said this about the church, folks, and one of the things that characterizes the church as opposed to any other period in history is the presence of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, then the point that Jesus is making is when we are gathered, when we are gathered, Christ is here. Because if you have the Spirit of God living in you, Christ is always there. Is he not? I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? That we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, that we are his temple? That he lives in us and dwells with us. So, so what is the, in what world then do I need to know that where two of us are gathered together, Christ is there, when Christ is already here? When I got up and sat in my lounge chair this morning and opened my Bible, Christ was there. When the body gathers together, Jesus is here. The question then, folks, with reference to the real presence is, is he there in a different or more unusual way when we observe the Lord's table? Because he's always there. He's here right now. He has to be here right now. He said he'd be here right now. That doesn't necessarily mean that we have any kind of unusual awareness of him, but he is there. Now go back if you would to First Corinthians chapter 11. We read 11.23-25. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 26. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. A memorial that is a proclamation of his death. Wherefore, since that is what you're doing, Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And the question, folks, is what Lord's body is he talking about? What happened to the Lord's body after it was crucified and resurrected? It was glorified and what happened to it? Where'd it go? Went to heaven. What are we? What are we? What's the church? It's the Lord's body. We're the Lord's body. That's one of the ways the New Testament describes us, that, that we are the body. Folks, I think, that the, I think that the flow of the argument, if we were to work our way through Paul's, remember, this is a passage that begins in harsh judgment upon the way the church was dishonoring the Lord's body, each other, through the way in which it disregarded the other members of the body. That one was drunk and none were, some were not waiting on other people. They came in, brought their supper down, started to eat. Others didn't have any food. Others hadn't got there yet. Complete and total disregard for the body. For the body. So our position would be that we are remembering respectfully what Christ has done. But that Christ is always present with the body. That, he, that there's not a uniqueness to his presence when we observe the Lord's table. Again, not that it isn't a sweet spiritual time to us. That's, that's, not the, that's not the conversation. But that whether or not you are in some different way receiving sustenance from Christ because you have put that piece of bread in your mouth... And we, with that piece of bread comes strength or grace or renewal. And with that little bit of juice comes grace or strength or renewal. That's the question. And we just don't think that the Bible leads us there. We don't think that that is a requirement to be on the receiving end of all of God's goodness and his grace. All right, I'm going to stop there. Again, this is, this is very, very controversial, folks. More controversial than than i 'm going to take the time to address. Um, <clears throat>